New days, introducing the original Blood Clad Podcast, not BS. Sword in Semantic. Special dedication, all the way from New York. Boom! Yeah, man, SWT Semantic. Yeah, man, oh. Boom! Sword in Semantic. Yeah, man, Big ups to the man, yeah. Sword in Semantic. Soothing Semantics, episode 14. Episode 14. Sure, what up, dude? What up, Rafi? Good. So, episode 14, Soothing Semantics, we have uh, Mr. Shua Cohen on the episode today, ladies and gentlemen. A good friend of mine from the New York. He has decided to make the move down here as well. I don't know if there are going to be any more New Yorkers soon, man. I think we're, they're all gonna they're all gonna leave. Might have. What do you think will replace them? Do you think some other like extraterrestrial from uh, some other planet? Will we just have nah. garbage bags? E- extraterrestrials will realize what it took humans way too long to realize is that New York is just a terrible place to live, and there are many better options with less taxes and more relaxed lifestyles. People are probably going to get tired of me talking about it, but uh, being that I do real estate, I do real estate. So if you need to leave New York, how you doing? Do you need to buy? I'm your guy. Do you need to sell? I'm also your guy. Do you need to rent? I'm your guy, but let's work on buying and selling. He can't sell your New York place. Well, I can't sell it, but I can refer somebody if they choose to go, go from Florida to New York. Uh, with that being said, Dudeski, being that I already know this, but uh, the people in the back don't, tell us a little bit about your uh, your days in collage. Sure. So uh, I uh, went to school in Yeshiva University. I had originally had my sights set on becoming a lawyer, um, and I was very confident that that was the career path I wanted. So started with a political science major planning to take the LSATs, go to law school. And then uh, somewhere in the middle, a friend of mine lent me a book called uh, The Intelligent Investor. And after reading that book, I decided I no longer wanted to go into law. I wanted to go into finance. And part of the reason was because I didn't have to do eight years of schooling to get in. But part of the reason was because I was fascinated by a lot of the concepts and I found that it would fit well with the way I think and, and the things I enjoy. So I switched my major to finance, and um, then somewhere in the middle, I decided that knowing about computers would be beneficial given the direction the world is rapidly moving in. Mm -hmm. So I added a computer science minor to that. So I graduated Yeshiva University in 2016 with a major in finance and a minor in computer science. But there's no partying in in YU. No, YU is uh, not too high on the list of uh, party schools, but it wasn't too bad. We had we had a house in in New York, and we threw some pretty epic parties, if I do say so myself. If I do say so myself, uh, in Washington Heights is like the YU Stern place, right? Yeah. So so just to give people uh, an idea. YU, Yeshiva University, and, and Stern are both under this. Well, they're both under the Yeshiva University umbrella. But it's basically, it's a good college, it's a good university in New York. Primarily Jews go there. There are non-Jews, some, right, who go? I think it's incredibly rare in the undergraduate. But okay. the graduate schools definitely do. More common, okay. But either way, yeah, so it's kind of this insular thing where well, mostly Jews go to this school. But, uh, yeah, so it's a good school, and uh, Yeshua went there. And he got educated, and uh, now he's living here and sitting on my couch. And uh, things have changed pretty rapidly in the past couple of months for you, right, dude? Yes, they have, Rafi. So, uh, to just to recap on how I got from 2016 graduating college to 2020 
sitting on Rafi's couch. Uh, so I got out of college and I started working at a private equity firm in New York. So private equity, just to give a brief overview, um, they're companies that they're investment firms that instead of investing in the public markets like stocks and stuff, they they invest in private companies. So your mom and pop shops across North America um, for one, or they'll potentially take a public company private, which means they buy out all the shareholders. And the idea is that they can improve, uh, buy the company with a certain amount of, of debt so mm-hmm. they don't have to spend so much money up front and they can improve the company maybe buy a couple of other companies in the same industry and merge them and then sell the companies for a profit which gives a return to their shareholders so in a sense wouldn't it kind of be like a ha- like a business house flip yes except not usually not as rapidly they usually have five seven ten year holding periods right but i'm saying in the sense where you're taking something that already exists you're perfecting it and then selling it correct no it's a completely different animal but it you know it has that same structure well not you know what i mean not the same it's not the same at all but yeah i got it it's it's a it's not a great analogy but it works (laughs) no it's not Mm. So, yeah, so the private equity uh, fund I was working in ended up taking a very big turn to focus on the railroad industry and specifically the freight railroad industry. So the railroad industry um, is a very important industry for the American economy, but it's not that well known today. It used to be very well known because it was it was the entire economy basically everything moved or almost everything moved on freight um it was a very famous vanderbilt the commodore he owned railroads uh uh uh, and a lot of the oil early on was transported with rail uh with rail but today it's a lot lesser known it's a bit it's a bit dated as an industry in their practices so our firm saw an opportunity to go in and buy some small regional railroads across North America, um, consolidate them, get some synergies from back office, improve their operations, and uh, and then hopefully sell them at some point in the future for a profit. So given that, like many Americans, I didn't know anything about the railroad industry, I had to quickly, quickly uh, read up and learn about it and um, I did that and got actually very interested in it. It's a very, a very interesting niche industry that uh, a lot of people don't know about. That there's, if you're an innovative thinker, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of options you have to majorly improve a lot of the operations and really do well for yourself in that space. Um, so, for the past four years, I spent my time working there so i would evaluate different opportun uh, acquisition opportunities we had and evaluate whether we'd get good returns on investment i had to evaluate the commodity markets that the railroad transported primarily so learn things about the copper market the coal market agriculture market um chicken <laughs> chicken market chicken market yeah we had one of the railroads had a tyson foods plant mm. so we had to learn about poultry and and how that market ebbed and flowed with different uh, economic indicators. Um, so the reason I really enjoyed it was because it gave me an opportunity. Um, so I learned about the railroads in general. Mm-hmm. Um, then I had to learn about railroad operations in, in particular, like using different metrics to track progress and, and seeing what metrics can be improved with better practice to uh, obtain measurable results Um, I had to learn about maintenance of track and like how much it costs and what like their different miles an hour different levels of maintenance for track where you're allowed legally allowed to go certain speeds depending on what condition the track is in Um, I had to learn about different technologies that the railroads do or don't use and potential 
technologies that they can use to better improve um, performance and efficiencies. Um, and then on top of that, I, I, I got a chance to learn about many different commodity markets and like the key drivers, just given that if you're buying a railroad, you're really buying the carloads it, it transports and those carloads can be many different commodities. So it's very important to understand how those commodities will perform into the future to understand how your railroad will perform into the future. Okay. How does the, how does the, the railroad industry differ from the trucking industry? Cause they're both dealing with, they're both dealing with freight, right? They're both dealing with all, all sorts of product. So on a, you know, I'm trying to formulate the question properly, but how, like, how do they really differ? So there's a, there's a few ways. Um, first of all, trucking, for the most part, will deal more with short distance freight movements. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot less efficient to move something by truck than by rail because well, you, you need a short distance because they go all over the country. They So there are some long distance truck moves, but trucks typically will move like they're usually last mile type things but it depends on the commodity also but um they'll they're more weighted towards shorter movements as opposed to rail which usually they're um going to take the longer movements because that's where they get their efficiencies so if i could i could pull a train of 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 grain rail cars with one conductor one engineer and i could have 120 rail cars getting pulled by that that's the equivalent of I don't know exactly the the uh, conversion, but I think it's like f- four truck loads per rail car. So times 120, wow. it's like 480, and you, and you need one truck driver for that truck, and you need a conductor and an That's engineer for so much more efficient. And it's also a lot more fuel efficient, so it's better for the environment. Um, s- but the trucks have a couple of advantages in that one: not everyone is located on a rail line. So if I have a plant that's not on a rail line, I don't have the option to be rail served. Um, and the second thing is, is that the government pays for the truck's infrastructure. The trucking drives on highways, so they and the government pays for the upkeep of highways, whereas railroads have to pay for their own infrastructure. They have to upkeep their own rail lines. So, um, so trucks have trucking companies have a, an advantage in that area. So how do you get on that? How do you, if you own a railroad company or you own you own the, the the freight trains, how do you become part of those railroads? Meaning that you can't drive as many trains on a track at a given time as you can drive trucks on a, on a, on highways. So how do you become part of that that railroad network? So, in it's an interesting question because it, it varies by. <coughs> country so in in australia they have like open use um laws where like someone owns the track Mm -hmm. but they have to let other companies run on their track and they pay them a fee for use like a per mile fee or per per ton mile it's called which is the weight times the mileage um they weigh they weigh it beforehand yeah, well, you know, you know how much how much the rail cars weigh. You know how much the locomotives weigh. And you know how much f- uh, freight is in each rail car. So you have the weight, and then if it goes, let's say the whole train is a, th- a thousand tons, and it goes ten miles, you mm-hmm. did ten thousand ton miles. So if you're paying fifty cents per ton mile, you have to pay five thousand dollars or whatever. That's pretty um, that sounds, but in, that in, sounds in, very reasonable. In, uh, those were just. Those were just numbers thrown out there. It doesn't necessarily reflect what oh, okay, the so actual costs good. are. Um, but in America, um, in the U.S. and in Canada as well, there is that concept doesn't exist. There's no one who owns like a rail transportation company that doesn't own track. You you're only a railroad transportation company if you actually own the track and then you move your trains on your track and then tracks that connect with you from other companies. Then there's sometimes agreements where you can go on their track and pay a per ton mile, but it's never like I can just buy like 10 locomotives and a thousand rail cars and then just start working on, start moving freight on someone else's uh, track. Interesting. 
Okay. So basically, in short, the, the answer to your question is basically you can't do anything. You can't just buy. You need the actual infrastructure. So interesting. Okay, well, uh, moving on to a very different topic. We were talking, so guys, we, we were having this conversation about uh, the Middle Eastern conflict, specifically with uh, the, the Israel-Palestinian conflict. And this isn't something that I intend to go into often in in my episodes. I don't like to be, I've mentioned this in prior episodes, I don't like to be political. But uh, this is something that I've thought about many times over the years. And Shu and I were discussing it in in his car several weeks ago. So we kind of wanted to bring it to your attention and, and give you perspective on what we think. Now, both of us are Jewish. We do agree on certain things. We do disagree on certain things. Ultimately, I think it, at its core, we have very similar views. But uh, my goal is to get somebody who has like a completely opposing view, hopefully someone of Palestinian origin. Uh, but Shua is very knowledgeable on the subject. And he, as a Jewish person, you, you can you can argue that maybe he's biased, but I think he has a very open-minded uh, outlook on it, on the conflict. So... Without further ado, uh, I'll just I'll I'll kind of introduce the the conversation. For the past seventy years, going on seventy one years, we've had this very near this pretty much nearly impossible issue uh, for the Israelis and Palestinians, and no one has been able to come up with a solution, and we've been we've had this back and forth issue and there are all sorts of opinions and 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 uh, you know fingers pointed at who's at fault and and what needs to be done to fix it and what are the uh issues on both sides that aren't allowing for a solution what are your what are your thoughts on on what's holding them back from coming up with a solution like what are some of the solutions in your opinion like are there any so it's not an easy question to answer, like as a yes or no. Oh, it's extremely there are, difficult. Are any solutions? Um, what we do know, as you said, is that what's uh, what's been tried so far has not worked at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll take a step back and look at it from like both sides, and hopefully try to try try to like think through what each side wants and what would what would uh, what end result would would be good and then and then see if a solution can fit with both sides Mm. so from israel's side um and this is my own opinion it's not necessarily exactly what israel wants but this is what i think um they want a a sovereign state that is for the jews the israel was originally created because jews were historically have been oppressed in every land they've been in they went through the spanish inquisition they were uh pillaged by crusade the crusades they got attacked in poland by the um by in uh in the 1700s by the or the 1600s by the pogroms um and then they uh were treated as second-hand citizens everywhere. They had to stay in their ghettos, ultimately leading up to, obviously, the Holocaust, where there was an attempt to exterminate them. Um, you so know that's interesting? Uh, just real quick. The Jews actually had it best a lot of the time in Arab countries. Uh, However, they still needed that. to pay a jizya. They still needed to pay a tax for not being Muslim. And they needed to ride their horse sitting sideways instead of sitting straight. And that's not the end of the world. It's degrading. But it's not like, okay, it's not the worst thing. But that's the irony of it. And this is an argument actually a lot of pro-Palestinians use that, well, if this, if Israel didn't gain independence, if Jews didn't come, you know, come in and, and make this whole issue, Jews could be living in the Middle East under Arab rule, under Arab Muslim rule just fine. You know, so that I, that I can say but I'll, I'm going to go into that a little later, but go back. Yeah. I just wanted to quickly throw that in. No, you you, you kind of said exactly what I was leading up to. So I was talking about more of like the, the Western 
country. No, that's all <laughs> right. Bad, it's good. Bro. I didn't know that. It's okay. good. And then I was going to say in the in the uh, Arab nations under the Ottoman Empire, um, the Jews definitely had it a lot better than in the West. But from the perspective of today, they it was still, it wasn't good. They, As Rafi said, they had to pay the jizya. They were by law considered like second-rate citizens. There were laws about um, their ability to purchase land, the horses, um, there were a few things. So they, it was definitely at the time you'd rather be a Jew in Turkey or under the Ottoman Empire than a Jew in Germany. Um, but it's still, we weren't treated great. So that, what that all led to was necessitated the, the idea that the Jews needed their own place they can call home and that they could live in peace. And that would, um, the mantra of like never again about the Holocaust that, that you'd really feel as a Jew anywhere in the world that if it got that bad, Israel has your back or a country, you have a country that has your back. Mm -hmm. So that led to the creation of the state of Israel with, uh, don't need to go through the history, but whatever the UN, the partition plan and the British mandate. And, um, and then we have Israel obviously got attacked, um, and whatever and yada, 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 where, where we're at today. So Israel's goal is to have a sovereign state for Jews that will could be considered a safe haven for Jews, mm-hmm. and they want to be secure. They want they don't want to have to live their lives with the fear that any second there's going to be an anti-Semitic attack. There's going to be a, a stabbing in in a synagogue, like what happened in Hebron even before. Well, you want to say um, you want to say Hebron because people oh in Hebron um, even before. 1948, before Israel was established, there was a massacre in Hebron in 1930, I believe. Um, then the apartheid one, apartheid two, and every the the Entebbe hijacking, everything in between. Jews were constantly and continue to live in a state of apprehension at attacks happening at any time. So they want that to feel that security and if you've ever been in israel it's it's surreal in a way because like where you you being used to living in the u.s you're not used to like you almost never see soldiers you'll maybe see soldiers at the airport once in a while maybe like in israel it's it's just a part of life you see soldiers everywhere you go and well truthfully people in certain states do see them fairly often when you're in the major cities then it's not common but there are a lot of states where people see soldiers pretty often yeah, if we're talking, if we're talking Miami, New York, sh- I would say Chicago. I, I would. That's my thought. I, I could be wrong, but in a lot of these major cities, that you, that's not common. You're talking about if you're near a military base. No, what I will in in other states. Um, in actual America, <laughs> they're more common. I don't know. I've been not in, even necessarily right near the bases, but there are certain states that have a much higher percentage of draftees where it's more prevalent to see people going home or go, you know, going to and from home base. So you'll see more people in uniform. Definitely not as common as Israel, though. Okay. Yeah, we don't need to argue, argue that point. It's, it's, but, the, yeah, and, and then you get to Israel and almost take for granted that, like, all of a sudden there's soldiers everywhere. They're patrolling checkpoints. They're, they're patrolling basically everywhere you go. You're going to interact and see soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's necessitated because... Israel needs that security because that actually saves lives by having that situation. So the two main goals are, to sum up from Israel's perspective, a sovereign state where Jews can feel safe and can be a homeland for Jews and has the back of Jews all over the world. And two, that they'll be secure in that in that uh, state without uh, having to ideally in the future without having to like have military just constantly around you the entire time and possibly without having to have a draft to have every single uh citizen join the military because right now that's just a necessity of life in israel to for their own protection but 
it, it would obviously be ideal if Israel didn't have to do that and not everyone had to join the military and people can immediately start pursuing whatever careers or interests they they want to do like we have here in America and what happens in most Western countries that mm-hmm. don't have drafts. Um, and from the Palestinian side, they would like to have their own state where they also feel safe and where they have an opportunity to economically flourish without all the obstacles they face today, both internally and externally in terms of all goods having to be to be allowed by Israel to get through um, and resources, uh, uh, having all the resources stopped and and, uh, different things like that make it very difficult to develop an economy um, when, and I'm not, I'm not blaming sides, but when, when you're constantly in a state of war and, and someone from your contingent starts firing rockets and all of a sudden um, the response is a bombing, it's very hard to live a normal life and focus on education and, and bring up children with open mind, open mindsets who want to, who want to contribute to the global innovation and economy and who can really improve their Mm -hmm. lives. Um, So, and this might be a a simplistic summary, but I think from my perspective, those, those would be what like the two sides goals are. I think, first of all, I I think you're making very good points. Uh, I think really what it comes down to is that to a large degree is that we're tackling this in a way where a lot of, a lot of the time we're coming from a religious standpoint. And I think that's, what's holding us back to a large degree. And I think we have to look at it from an irreligious uh, standpoint. So we always say, Oh, well it says in the, the old Testament that the Jews deserve the land and God gave it to us, or God gave, well, let's say them, <laughs> you know, God gave it to them. To anyone that isn't Jewish, it makes no difference. So ultimately, in order to come to some sort of a solution, I think it's important that we look at it from a standpoint of why are we where we are now and how do we fix it? So ultimately, if I weren't, from any religious background, if I was an atheist and I was looking at both sides, what would make the most sense? So to me, the Jews had the land at some point. So did many others. Jews came in droves in the, in the twenties, specifically as, especially in the forties. Uh, you know, even at, it's still going on now, but there was a massive, uh, influx of, of Jews from all over the world uh, in the early 1900s. And this obviously upset the Arab population living there because they were living there. And if I were a an Arab Muslim, if I was a Palestinian uh, during that time, I would be extremely unhappy about it. It's very simple. Now we can go into, you know, there are people from both sides that are going to, you know, pro, people who are pro-Israel are going to say, ah, oh, but they, there was no such thing as Palestine back then. Ultimately, that's that isn't really the point were they you know the arab population in in israel proper in israel now were arabs from the neighboring countries they're levantine arabs they're they're arabs from egypt lebanon syria um, for the most part and they were nomadic they settled in in the british mandate of palestine and that's where they were and ultimately if people are coming from all over the world claiming that this is their land and they're kicking you out, you're not going to be happy about that. And even if they're not kicking you out, but they're coming and just settling, no normal person is going to be happy about that. So if I were one of those Arabs living during that time, I wouldn't like that. Okay. So you have people who are pros who are saying, Rafi, how could you say that? You know, you're a Jewish guy. You were in the army. Uh, it's our land. I do believe that this is, you know, I do believe that, that God does play a role and that things happen the way they're supposed to. But at the same time, we also took action. So to keep things simple, this was disputed land. The British had control over it at the time. 
there was a war that was fought. There were several wars, but there was a war that was fought. The War of Independence was fought. The Jewish side won, and that's the end of it. Now, there's a lot that has to be worked on, but when you when you have a war, the winning side takes the spoils of war. I think we're complicating this, and we don't want to be honest about where, where, where we're at. And the reality, just like in, throughout history when conquest happened, the winner, the victor, takes the spoils of war. The loser, and I don't want to say loser, I mean the loser, but the, person, the, the, the group that loses the war gets the bad end of the stick. And there's no nice way to say that. There's no sweet way of saying that. And I think we, we're sugarcoating it and saying, well, we deserve it. Oh, no, we deserve it. It was ours, and it was ours, and it was this, and it was that. The Jews came, and you can argue that they came back, but they, they, they conquered the land, essentially. And it's, I think, very important to be able to make that distinction. And if we can make that distinction and be honest with, 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 you know, about, honest with ourselves about what actually happened, it, it'll be a lot easier to, to come to a, a solution. So now that the Jews conquered the land, you can argue they took it back. Either way, they conquered the land. They won the war. They, they've won uh, every war up until now. We can argue the, the Second Lebanon War, but ultimately if, if, we, if the Jews lost, then the, the country wouldn't be in the J- Jewish hands anymore. So they've, always, we, they've had to win up until now. With that being said, there are still Arabs living in, in the area of Israel now. There are certain Arabs in, in, in Israel, that, you know, Hamas or, or, or Fatah, who want all of Israel to go back to, to Arab rule. Okay, They don't want any Jews there. They believe it, it, it's theirs. The same way we believe it's ours and yada yada. I don't think a two-state solution is necessarily going to work simply because there are a, there is a large group on both sides that are not okay with the idea of sharing land. In a perfect world, sharing land sounds great. I just don't think that that's an actual reality because there are extremists on both sides who, who just are not going to accept it. And if we try to make concessions and, and try to split the land, quote-unquote, People from either side are going to continue to cause issues. I think what we need to do is understand that ultimately there, was a, there were several wars. The Jews won, and that's it. It's, it's just it's not ideal. It's not sweet. It's not fun. But this is where we are. And I think the moment we're willing to accept this, the easier it'll be to actually you know, figure something out. Um, and that's really what it comes down to. So now that that's the case... We have to give, I think it's important because they are human beings, just as much as anyone else, we have to give the Arab side, and I, I'm saying we because I, I'm, I'm, I'm a Jewish person, we have to give them the ability to feel like human beings, to feel like they have opportunity. You know, uh, I, I've been talking for a while. I want to I give you your, I want I want you to, I want to hear your perspective. Um but ultimately, that's what we need. We need people to have jobs. We need people to to be innovative, to to grow the economy on both sides. I mean, I, I think the best solution ultimately, and many people are going to disagree with me, is for the uh, is for Israel to be under Israeli rule completely, and to genuinely allow for for Arab growth. And this isn't something we can't allow for for BS Arab growth. There needs to be. Uh, an allowance for Arabs to really flourish in the country, to give them their own uh, form of government, to allow them to vote in the country. Uh, you're going to have a lot of politicians who are like, hell no, you know, we don't want to do that. Uh, there are going to be all kinds of things. But there needs to, you know, extremism needs to really, really, <laughs> I mean, that that's really what screws it, by the way. Like, like the extremism on both sides really fucks the whole thing up. Yeah, if, if, couldn't it agree really, more. It fucks everything. Extremism in anything, especially religion, it really, really screws the option for peace. Yeah, not to mention all the the impact it has on innovation, education, uh, quality of life, et cetera, et cetera. I can go on this all day. So, so guys, I mean, uh, on, on my behalf, I didn't, I didn't mean to, you know, not give you your. I just this stuff gets me really intense because people just waste time on the subject. I think. I. Uh, 
I've been known to ramble, so yeah, I mean, just <laughs> I like, can relate, dude. If I was an, if I was a if I was an Arab, I would probably be part of Hamas. I'm a very proactive person. I went to the army, you know, fighting or, or defending my side. If I were on the other side, I you know I could understand it. Do I agree with how things are handled on that side? No, not you know. Do I agree with how everything's handled on 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 Israel's side? No, but I mean. I, I can't say I don't understand where they're coming from. You know what I mean? It's I could have been born on either side, and to to one per, one person's freedom fighter is another person's terrorist. That's that's a, a very big reality. What were, what were you saying? Yeah. There? I agree, and um, I agree for the most part with the points you've laid out, and they they're good points. A mm-hmm. um, couple of points of distinction, or at least things to think about further is one historically when you talk about like to the winner goes the spoils and and all that so historically that's the way the world always worked every every nation that has um land that they have claimed to has at some point conquered that from someone else uh american uh the u.s conquered from the british and then conquered a lot of land from the native americans um uh, the europe was continuously changing hands in terms of uh who was the rule before then there was the romans who ruled a large amount of the civilized world before that there were the greeks who ruled a large amount of uh, persians and then the greeks and the that's the way the world has always worked but at some point in the early 19th in the early 20th century uh after world war 1 we realized this is not a good way of living and 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 to try to create laws against the type of conquering of other lands and against winners taking the spoils and and continuous fighting and war um we created global organizations for like to come to pacts and then from that came the un and the un created very clear rules for what's allowed and not allowed in terms of conquering um i don't think any conquering is really allowed under Mm -hmm. the un and if you're a party to the un which israel is um then you should be abiding by those laws Mm -hmm. so it's easy to say now in 2020, oh, okay, they conquered them, they won the land, so that's theirs, and now let's 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 have this discussion from that f- frame of mind where where we are today. But it's important to to look at when the conquering was done, and was it legal under the UN laws that Israel is a part of. Um, now we didn't want to go into the specifics of the legality. There's uh, a a bunch of lawyers who are dealing with that and there's different schools of thought on whether it's legal or illegal, Mm -hmm. but assuming some parts of the conquering was illegal, like definitely after the 67 war, strong arguments can be made that, that those portions of land, which Israel, um, conquered was to an extent illegal. Then I think it's yeah, then I think it's important to to have as part of discussion giving giving that part back because we don't want to have land that was conquered illegally under the UN law because then you're regressing towards towards the world we lived in for the throughout civilization which was not good for globalization and not good for quality of life or anything like that because then what's the stop the the next country from saying oh well israel is able to do it even being a part of the un we're going to do it now even being a part of the un Uh, i I do think the motive though the the need for jews to have their own homeland is very important other other groups have their own land so i don't i don't necessarily think that that makes it fully okay but it, it it's something where we, you know, or, the, or the, I'm going to say we, we you know, I, I'm a part of it. We, we had to have a place, a safe haven, 
you know, and we've we've haven't we haven't had that in thousands of years, and <clears throat> it's unfortunate that it had to be at someone else's expense, but that's that's often what happens. You know, it's a very shitty circumstance. You know, it really is a shitty circumstance. Uh, you know, what you're saying makes a lot of sense, and uh, you know, it's it's very probable, it's very possible that the idea of taking Israel and conquering it wasn't necessarily the right thing to do. I do believe there is divine intervention. I'm a, I am a, a God-believing person. And it doesn't it doesn't mean that just because we did something and it happened it, it's okay, but I'm I'm very pro it because there many other nations and 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 groups have their own place to call home. And I think to have one place the size of New Jersey, especially because it does have that that religious connection and a lot of the people, you know, for instance the the Arabs in the area, the Arabs in in the Arab countries and especially the Arabs in Israel are mainly religious people. If you're coming from a religious standpoint, Israel, in my opinion, definitely wins the argument if you're, if you're having a religious argument. So being that a lot of their argument is religious, I definitely think from a religious argument, Jews and Israel are definitely synonymous. But if you're coming from an irreligious standpoint, that's where things get, get a lot hard, more, more difficult to, to dissect. Yeah, so I'm definitely, definitely like you mentioned earlier, coming from an irreligious. Like I don't, I don't care what uh, people think the Old Testament 100%. said and what that gave them. So 100%. it's more about in our current reality of humanity and and our morality. What's the right thing to do? And and ultimately, like the the question that we started this whole conversation with is, what is the best approach going forward? And I do agree completely with you that while extremism exists and especially while extremism, extremism exists in the numbers that it does, it's going to be impossible to come to any form of solution because no one's going to accept the two-state solution, uh, or at least the, the majority of them won't, of both sides won't. And... Israel won't accept just folding Palestinians into their population because for two reasons. One, because then it will be even more, going back to my point about what Israel's goals are, it will be even more dangerous for them in terms of the potential for getting attacked, at least from their perspective, um, and what we've seen and what we've seen for the last 70, 80 years. But also because, um, and I don't know if this is for this conversation, but... Um, Given that Israel's a democracy, if they risk having the number of non-Jews over overwhelm or, or become the majority in the country, mm -hmm. they lose that aspect of being a Jewish country and having Jewish back. So it's very risky for them to just they would wouldn't I don't see them accepting just folding the Palestinian population in and. I know that Israel's stance in terms of having any form of a two-state solution um, is that the they don't think they can be secure with the pre-67 borders unless mm -hmm. the Palestinians agree to give up their military capabilities and the Palestinians just won't agree to give up their military capabilities in that instance. So <laughs> It's a stalemate in, in many ways. Yeah, but also, like you said, it's the, the status quo is not good because it's just, uh, it's, I mean, Israel's flourishing, but it's still, it could be much better in terms of, like I said, about ha not having to have the military the way it is and not having to draft everyone the way, the way it is. Um, but particularly for, like, Palestinians in Gaza and Palestinians in the West Bank, uh, the it breeds hate and it breeds breeds uh it like uh, a somewhat archaic lifestyle in that they they don't have they have terrible economies they can't uh their transportation of goods is hindered um and the wars and the 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 rocket launching and, and the response of the israel bombing uh exacerbates the the hate where the kids are taught is a bad guy and then all of a sudden the kid has his uncle get killed in a in a bombing or his father and all of a sudden 
it's it's it cements that that idea and then they mm -hmm. grow up and join join Hamas and it's it's very hard to break that cycle with the status quo that we have today and you can't and I don't blame them like I I have a friend who was in who was in the military um actually in your unit mm -hmm. and he worked in the West Bank and he he told me that like one time he was uh he was there and I uh uh, Palestinian kid ran up to him, looked like a rock, and he said he's never seen such like pure hatred in a look from someone, and, and that's a little kid who who's mm -hmm. who, and it's all because of the way what what they've been taught that Israelis are bad and they're out to kill you and they're evil and that to he said it was like jarring to to have that experience of having a, a little kid a little impressionable kid look at him with that level of hate. And that's that's something that's that's just awful to hear, and and it's something that we really would want a solution that that doesn't have that, and that solves for that. I, th I think I, I, what you're saying is it's it's so accurate, dude. I think it's so on point. I saw that I saw that myself. You see that on both sides. I think ultimately there's that there, there's really this issue of religion versus secularism where I think religion has its pros in the sense of spirituality. And I think spirituality is nice because it takes away the the vitality of, if I'm using that word correctly, I think, uh, of needing, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, of, of, of requiring uh, large amounts of money and, and having all of these massive businesses and corporations and skyscrapers in in the Middle Eastern world, until you know, not too long ago, they they don't care for all of these things. It's not the way they live. They have a much more relaxed spiritual outlook on life, and that goes against Western society. And I think that's why there's such a big rift. Your decision to not be so fixated on entre entre um, entrepreneurship and capitalism it's not wrong if you decide as a country that you are more interested in religion and farming the land and living comfortably and it's not to say that most of them have a choice because most of these uh most of these countries are are dictatorships so i can't say that all the people like it that way it's simply a very different mode of, of living and ultimately i think the best way we can come to peace is by moderating things and when i say moderating things it means to keep keep religion if you must religion does have its pros spirituality is a beautiful thing many people are, are, are do wonderfully as religious people uh, but at the same time you know secularism also has its downfalls because secularism can become very very uh, distant when you look at america America thrives, but America doesn't have the same kind of uh, familial connection that a lot of these countries have. The idea that an Arab culture, if you come into an Arab person's home, they accept you with open arms. They'll take care of you like you're, you're, like you're their child or you're their, their, their sibling. There's a very, very strong concept of, of taking care of the guest. You don't have that in many other countries. So, and that comes, that's part of their religion. It's part of their culture. So... And you have that with the Jews from Arab countries as well. They're very, very inviting. They're very, very warm. They're also very hot-headed. They're very intense. They're, it can be very aggressive. But uh, uh, the craziest thing about it is they're so, we're, we're so similar as people. That's the that's the, 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 the craziest part about it. Jewish people and, and Arab people specifically have so many similarities, especially the Jews from Arab countries. They're, they're pretty much the same. The, the religions are slightly different, but they eat the same food, they listen to the same music, they look the same, the languages are, are, are both Semitic. And, and for, to people from an outside perspective, they're like, why the fuck are you guys fighting all the time? You know? It's the sibling, the sibling rivalry, if you, if you will. And I don't know if there, there will ever be a solution. The only solution I can really think of is one, of, one side accepting that the other side is going to be the one's with the power it's just it's it's not ideal and it to many people but i think that's really the only way it's going to work because most countries have have a, a ruling body you know uh 
Arab countries have a Muslim majority. They have a Muslim rule. Christians have a Christian rule. Most Christian countries nowadays are more secular, but uh, regardless of that fact, I think uh, my my real opinion is that Israel is probably best under Israeli sovereignty based on how things have been going, uh, based on how Israel has, has uh, grown as an economy. And I think that's not going to make the Palestinians happy whatsoever because they don't obviously don't want that to, to be a thing. But uh, many Arab countries don't do very well economically, and I don't think it's solely their fault. America has a big role to play. They get they bud their nose bud their nose into everything, and they make things worse for their own gain. There's plenty of bullshit that goes on. It's not here. To, I'm not here to point fingers at Arab countries and say, "Oh, you guys are uh, primal and, and and medieval and this and you this and you that." There's nothing wrong with, with driving a, a crappy car and living in a regular house and not caring to become a millionaire. There's nothing wrong with that. So just because they're, they're not interested in capitalism the same way America is, there's, nothing, there's no issue with that. Uh, so so for, I'm, I want you to, to finish your point, to finish uh, this, this conversation. But uh, to, to end off on my end, the, just like many other countries in the past, the Jewish people conquered that land plain and simple we are where we are now we can't go back in time you can't just kick all the jews out of the country and i sure as hell i'm not okay with that uh i'm very much pro uh the state of israel and make that clear uh but with that being said i i would like people to live in peace i want people to be happy i want people to thrive because uh you see clearly that with palestinian culture a big reason why a lot of the the youth and people in their 20s and 30s are committing a lot of these attacks is because they don't have anything to do, right? And it's, it, you know, they, they're very limited. But at the same time, if they're, if they're willing to accept Israel as, as the, you know, they're willing to accept Israel as, as the one who who has ownership of the country, we can actually come to some kind of understanding. It's just it that... That notion is probably never, that's probably something I don't see the Arabs accepting, but I think over time, I think it's it's funny enough actually going in that direction. I think that the Arabs in, in the, the Palestinian Arabs are actually secularizing over time. There are many of them that are leaving and going to America and Europe because they're just tired of this going on. It's just never ending. And they're like, listen, we, we love our, our people. We want to be a part of it, but we need to give our kids a better life. And they don't see this getting better anytime soon. And you have Israelis leaving also. But they, I think that's the best solution. And it's not, like I said, it's not ideal. But I think the best option is for Israel to have, uh, you know, to have rule over the land. I don't like the word rule, but that's the, the, the realistic word. For Israel to have rule over the land and for the, you can still have things somewhat split up, but to, you know, there just has to be an understanding that both sides may not agree, but this is the best overall solution. You know, and I, I know this is going to cause a lot of controversy, but this is really the only thing I can think of because two states won't work. Uh, having Muslim ownership over, especially the because the most of the, a Palestinian Arab rulership is, is religious. Even Fatah, which is supposedly secular, is not secular at all. So Hamas and Fatah are both ideological uh, militant groups that are, are not interested in sharing land whatsoever. So if they had ownership over it, Israel would, be, would either discontinue to exist or would have absolutely no rights. Uh, being that Israel is a secular state, they do have Jewish values, but it's a secular state, and most Israelis are are not practicing. They're not religious Jews. They're just you know traditional. They're a lot more likely to to uh, you know. I think it's just a better alternative, you know. And that and I'm sure that's biased, but I, I really just from think from a logical standpoint, secular countries they do better. Period. <laughs> secular countries are, they're more progressive and they they do better. So, you know, that's my take. Yeah, I can't agree more with your last statement. Secular uh, countries? Yeah. Yes, dude. It uh, when, you have, when you put religion into the leadership of a country, it just doesn't work. It's, it's uh, just you look at the history of the world. You, when you throw your ideology into, into things, and you don't – there, there's also a secular ideology, but a lot of this issue comes from you, having your – having this feeling that, oh, 
as a as a religion were so much better. If you look at it as more of nationality and and, and kind of race, it, it's not necessarily that much better. But we all want to become be part of something. You can't just eliminate race and all that. Everyone likes to feel a part of something. People like their nationality, their flag. They want to say, "I'm Cuban. I'm Italian. I'm Palestinian. I'm Israeli. I'm this." We need that as a people. There's nothing you can do to eliminate that. You can try all day long to get rid of borders and get rid of flags and get. It is you're going against. The, the the absolute need for human beings to feel like they belong. And you can't just say, oh, well, we belong to the human the human race. Uh, that's not going to work. It's bullshit. <laughs> that's my take. I really don't, I don't buy that. Yeah. No, humans were engineered to uh, pick sides and be mm-hmm. a part of teams. There was a interesting study done um, where they they wanted to see how how quickly humans actually manage to like pick teams and root for certain sides. And they even found that when they, uh, they, they randomly just put people on one side versus the other. Um, so I forget how the exact study was done, but it was basically like they would show a picture of like a hand with a certain symbol on it. And, um, if you got this symbol, then you're part of that that symbol group. And if you got another one, you're part of that symbol group. And they would show it randomly to a group of people. And then they wanted to they they were looking at uh, fMRIs or uh, brain scans of the people, and they found that the empathic uh, pathways in the brain were more activated with when something was happening to someone who was on their own team, which had just randomly been selected mm-hmm. a couple of minutes earlier than for someone who was on the other team. So even when it's completely random which side you're picked and you know it's completely random because you just were told you were on one side versus the other, our our neurochemistry and our brains actually are engineered to be more empathetic towards our team than the other team. So it's it's just human nature, and that's that's the way we are. Um, so I completely agree with that point. Uh, and I agree with a lot of what you said in your in your summary. Um, the couple points I wanted to highlight is one, in terms of moderation and, and getting more secular. So I agree that religion has some value um, from a familiar, from a so- social, sociological perspective. But... I think that while it exists and while it's a primary driver of people's lives and what they do in their lives, you're going to have all the negatives that exist with it, all the negatives of the different passages in the Quran, the negatives of different passages in the Old Testament, etc. And you can't just hope that they pick the good without the bad. So, um, so, so if you have that agenda. familial family structure, which is a good, you're also going to have the uh, kill all infidels or, or infidels have to be eliminated uh, mentality. And at least you might not have that in the overall soci- societal group, but you'll have it in fringes and extremism, and that will that will hurt the progress in any form of peace. Mm-hmm. So in, in my mind, as we as the world evolves and as we more information is more widely disseminated and people have access to more, um, opposing points of view than what they're brainwashed in their upbringing. Um, people move more towards a secular mindset, and and my hope is that that will serve to eliminate the extremism, extremism and allow for a more peaceful outcome without having to come up with some engineered solutions that don't really solve most of the problems, but maybe solve a couple and make mm-hmm. people feel like they won or or that they got their way. Um, the second point is uh, is that you say that just to to solve it, you need to just say like, oh, one side is in is is in the rule, and the other side has to accept that and live with within that. So I'll go back to an earlier point I made that let's say we do that, and let's say Israel is the one that we decide is on top. Mm-hmm. Um, there because Israel's a democracy they run the risk that they 
the Jews won't be won't be on top for very long. Palestinians procreate much much so more. So we can have separate so, we can have separate areas and they can still have their neighborhoods, but nothing will change as far as size. You know, w- meaning it'll stay the same, but we now have we now have rulership and are responsible for their well-being but the votes meaning they can still have their so governments and all that with, so they can't vote within uh, the israel system i would like them to but th- then again you run the risk of them being able to vote you know it becomes a problem because you want to keep that jewish majority so it's a very difficult situation yeah. it's a very very difficult situation i w- uh, if they're part of israel and israel's responsible for their well-being i want them to be able to vote i do but you know, I mean, it's a very difficult thing. If it's so that's what I'm saying. So your solution is, and I hate this term because people use it for situations where it really doesn't apply and is incorrect, but y- the solution that you're suggesting would literally be apartheid. It would literally be a nation with under one rule where a certain class of citizens don't have the rights of other cla- another class of citizens. Yeah, no, it's a, no, I'm not saying that it's, I don't have, I'm not saying I have the answer. I guess I guess you're making a very good point, and I I guess ultimately they have to. They need the right to vote, and whatever happens, happens. You know, because if we're if if Israel is is deciding to to take full control, and I know that's just what the word is, then they need to make sure that they're delivering to every single person that everyone's getting their fair share and that they're able to succeed. So, yeah, they'll they'll need to be able to vote. They'll need to be able to vote. There's just no other way to do that. You know, because apartheid is not an answer. Um. I know that Israelis in Israel proper, Israeli Arabs, uh, I'm not going to say that they have everything equal, but they definitely, they're, they, they're doctors, they're in high levels in the military. They, they live much better than in most other Arab countries. That's an absolute fact. Absolutely. It's an absolute fact, and that, that I know that there are numerous Arabs that will agree with me. There are prob- most Arabs will probably agree with me that they won't outright, outrightly say it. Um, and that's again. That's mainly due to religious. When when you run a country with religious ideology, you, you, you're fucking yourself. I think countries should be should be run on a secular basis, with open values and and, and freedom of religion, freedom of press, freedom of speech. Period. The the moment you you demand someone has to wear a burqa, a hijab, uh, you know, uh, a kippa, whatever it is, you're 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 not allowing for individuality. And I think that these leaders are—they are afraid of an uprising. They're afraid of, uh, you know, transsexualism and, and 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 gay and this and that. Yeah. First of all, gay people are awesome. Okay, I agree. They are. That's that's just that's a fact. And uh, and I have nothing wrong with transsexuals either. I just want to be clear. Uh, it is what it is. Everyone does their own thing. I'm not going to sit here and get into. Uh, as the only thing I say is, go ahead and do whatever you want. Just don't make me. Just don't try to change my view. Just let me be me and you be you. Uh, religious um, religious uh, countries run on religion do not allow for freedoms. When you don't allow for freedoms, you're suppressing people's uh, ways, you know, a, a, an individual's way of living. And they, the only place they get to do that is in the privacy of their own home. And you're, you're suffocating people. And yes, is there a chance that people may disagree with you and there may be revolutions? Yeah, that's what life is all about. It's about questioning the status quo. It's about saying, well, maybe our government's not doing things the way they should. When you have a dictatorial government, dictatorial uh, leadership, there is no say in anything. And essentially, people are they're, they're, they're nothing. They have no value. They have no say. Um, so, so even in a democratic country like America, yeah, there's a lot of bullshit and conspiracy that goes on. There's a lot of, you know, bullshit with elections. Politicians are mainly out for their own benefit, but it, it's still far better than in a country like Yemen or in, you know, in, in other countries in, in Africa and the Middle East that have give out their, their people absolutely no, no decision, uh, or freedom. So do you have anything else you want to touch up on? I think uh, that was. I, I don't have any disagreement with any of the points you just made. I think that was a good uh, summation. Mm-hmm. So, in short, we don't necessarily have a great solution. No, that's the truth is, man. It's fucking hard with the with 
Israeli-Palestinian conflict's really hard. I do, I do still stick to my point of I think Israeli, uh, there should be Israeli leadership over the whole area. How we do that is the real difficulty because, like, you know, you brought up a very good point on voting and all that. It's very difficult. I think that's the closest way to, to get to where we need to go. And I think over time, is, uh, Palestinian Arabs are becoming more secularized, man. They're, they're, I've, I've watched documentaries on Vice about it, how they're starting to build startups and they're starting to get more you know, connected to the outside world with, with business. And I think that's what it's going to be. They want to be religious, fine. But as long as, as, long as the, the religious ideology doesn't come into play too much, we, I think we're, we're off to a good start. Couldn't agree more. And it's yeah. it's that way with everything in life. It's it's much easier to identify problems than to uh, find good solutions. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, my dude, with that being said, I had a phenomenal conversation with you. Yeah, I can say the same. It was very enjoyable to talk to you, Rafi. Awesome, man. It's always enjoyable to talk to you, bro. Guys, I hope you got uh, a lot of new knowledge from this. You're welcome to email me. My email is uh, soothingsemantics at gmail.com. You're welcome to agree, disagree, ask me any questions, bring up any topics of conversation. I really, really would like to have this discussion of uh, Middle Eastern politics, specifically Israel and Palestine, with somebody who's very pro-Palestinian because I'm always willing to learn and understand. Uh, I'm human. I have my own faults. Uh, I am extremely pro-Israel, and I, I don't see that changing. Uh, but I, 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 oh, I never want to be... A stone wall I, I i just for me to to not accept anyone else's way of thinking is just going to hinder my own growth so uh, i implore any of you who do have strongly opposing views to contact me so we can hopefully both learn and and, and grow together and, and help make you know make the world a better place so uh, with that being said dude thanks so much for joining i hope to have you on for another episode until next time this has been another episode of soothing semantics